0: Welcome to another Editor Edition of Micro, a podcast for short but powerful writing. I'm your host, Drew Hawkins. Editor Edition is a special series that features editors from different literary journals reading their own work that was published in another literary journal. In this installment, we got a blend of poetry and microfiction, that artfully captures the complexity of human connection and very real issues without hitting them directly on the nose. Specific details and dialogue are woven together to create pieces that are at once relatable, unique, personal, and objectively powerful. Up first, we've got Colleen Rothman, founding editor of Nurture, a literary journal. She'll be reading a prose poem that beautifully tackles a subject with which we're all familiar it uses achingly specific detail to make it even more powerful. It's called "This What," and it was published by Anti Gravity in July 2020. Enjoy.
1: I say, let's reconnect on the other side of this, knowing too well there is no other side. There is only this. This what, my favorite teacher, would scrawl in the margins whenever I merely implied a noun. That, of course, was before, from which this has been untethered. In this, there is no oxygen for someone who could gaze upon a mess they created, unaware, who was cavalier with a heart they didn't own. Excusing myself from where I sat for years in that dark auditorium, captive, I brush shoulders with shadows, their presence never confirmed. Other women available to listen to songs shared and often reshared. Hard to keep track of who's heard what across so many private audiences. Our passive participation offered a reprieve from the nine to five drag, a single earbud tucked behind a lock of hair, secrets kept in an open office, pause nightly as a train docked safely home, doors closing. I make my bed every morning now. A habit acquired in isolation. Crashing onto pillows lined up like teeth with perfect orthodontia, my son says, Keeping my distance is awful, Mom. I don't want to do it today. I don't know how. This is cruel enough without inflicting anything additional. I empty the crisper of panic-bought vegetables for a recipe my sister sent, a roasted carrot tart. I've never had luck with pie crust, but today will be different. Alas, the dry shit show of crumbles fashioned into a stiff ball dents my rolling pin. A disappointment even after baking for an hour, still raw in its heart. A waste of a stick of butter during this limit two per customer. Someone updated the overpass graffiti. Please be brave. I wonder about those E's, whether they couldn't muster the courage to stand tall this unfolds in slow motion affording ample time to dwell and yet no more to listen to lyrics that hopscotch the truth nor to bear witness to a performance that kept inventing new ways to hurt i surround myself with those i can love abundantly who'd long hesitated to pick up an instrument who now join me on stage as we sing for ourselves in the concert hall of my porch where our voices echo like mourning doves off the haint blue ceiling above our pixelated faces, who can see the chicken wire on my clapboard fence but are not afraid, because they are safe and warm inside, where there is plenty of room to breathe our way through this.
0: Colleen Rothman is a writer based in New Orleans with work that's appeared in The Atlantic, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, and Literary Hub, among other publications. You can find her on Twitter at Colleen Rothman or on her website at ColleenRothman.com. This next one comes to us from Mimi Wong, editor-in-chief of The Offing. She'll be reading a piece of microfiction where setting is indicative of an undercurrent of emotion, each line revealing so much about the relationship between a teenager and their father. It's called Lunch Special, and it was published by Cicada on January 7th, 2021. Enjoy.
2: Lunch Special On Saturday, I saw my father for the first time since he had moved out. His old Mercedes idled in the driveway. He didn't bother getting out to ring the doorbell. Raindrops splattered against the windshield as we drove. His eyes stayed on the road as I switched on the radio. I kept seeking, finally settling on a classical music station, something I knew he wouldn't mind. Next time, when the weather is better, how about you take the wheel? I'm getting too old to chauffeur you around, don't you think? He winked. Twenty minutes later, we pulled into the parking lot of a Chinese restaurant in a different town to a part that I had never been to before. They have a good lunch buffet here, he said. Good to see you again, Mr. Lamb. As we entered, a young hostess who knew my father by name seated us at a booth. We sat down opposite each other, only to immediately stand up again to serve ourselves from the hot lunch line. I eyed the trays of dried-out sesame chicken and soft broccoli, wondering why my father had picked this place, until I saw a flyer that read, 5 95 Lunch Special Daily. By good, my father had meant cheap. I brought back a plate of beef chow fun and egg drop soup. Meanwhile, my father had loaded up his plate with almost every item from the menu. He unclipped the Motorola phone attached to his belt and set it on the table before digging into his food. Not bad, huh? "'Hm. How's school?' he asked. "'Fine.' My father wiped his mouth with a paper napkin. "'I wish I could help you, but that's your mother's job now that she kicked me out of my own house.' I remained silent. I didn't want to spoil our day together. "'You know, I never finished high school,' he went on. "'I took one look at the textbooks and thought, that's not for me. "'Besides, there wasn't anything in them that I didn't already know or couldn't learn on my own.' Your mother thinks she's better than me because she has a degree, but I earned my Ph.D. from the streets. He chuckled at his own joke, one that I had heard many times before. She likes to call me a bum, but no one can argue with my money, am I right? After my father paid the check, we got back into the car. He drove down a residential street where I noticed the one-story houses we passed were smaller than those in my neighborhood. He pointed to a remote clipped to the visor above the passenger seat. I pushed the button for him and we cruised up the incline. Inside the garage, splinters of wood protruded from the unfinished walls. I got out of the car and followed my father through a side door. We passed through a small kitchen and into a sparse living room filled with minimal furniture, an enormous plasma screen TV, a black leather sofa, and a desk with a computer on it. Streaks of brown stained the dull beige carpet. That's your mother's handiwork right there, he said. Soy sauce. I looked at him. You should have seen the old one. I had to completely replace it. I tried to parse out what he was telling me. I stared at the stains and felt ashamed, as if he had just accused me of being the one to break into his house and deliberately ruin his couch. I followed him into the hallway. He indicated which was his bedroom as well as a second room. I asked if I could use the bathroom. He pointed to the end of the hall. I heard the television switch on as I shut the door. The whirring of the bathroom fan drowned out everything else. After flushing the toilet, I rinsed my hands in the sink without any soap. I looked around for a hand towel but didn't see one, so I wiped my hands on my jeans. As I walked back down the hall, passing the spare room, I stopped and pushed open the door, which revealed a lone twin bed. I imagined the small, stark space as a happy alternative to the current living situation with my mother. Perhaps I could come stay here. But I wasn't sure how to broach the topic. At lunch, he had made it clear that I was no longer his problem. In the living room, my father sat at his desk. Watch anything you want, he said. While he worked, I lay on the couch, mindlessly flipping through the channels. I landed on spring break in Cancun. On screen, a woman dressed as a nurse hooked up a heart monitor to a man wearing only swim trunks. Meanwhile, another woman, this one in a string bikini, performed a lap dance. A male host announced that the man's heart rate had jumped from 96 to 120. In the next contest, a male college student stuffed tacos into his speedo. With the tacos still in his suit, the contestant then waded into the ocean, came back, and ate one taco to win the bet of $10. For a hundred dollars, a female volunteer ate one of the tacos from the backside of his swimsuit. The audience cheered. Later, before driving me home, my father led me to the front yard to show off his vegetable garden. It was smaller than the one he had planted at our house, but at least there weren't any deer to worry about in this neighborhood, he said. He picked the ripe tomatoes and put them in a plastic bag. The rain had lessened and stopped completely by the time we arrived in front of the house. Parking the car at the bottom of the driveway, he handed me a folded piece of paper. It's my new number, he said, adding, You don't have to show your mother. I don't want you to have to lie to her, but if you don't have to say anything, probably better to keep it to yourself. I took the piece of paper, understanding my new role as a guardian of secrets. As I started up the hill, I could see my mother waiting and watching from the kitchen window. I clutched the bag of tomatoes as if it was a consolation prize.
0: Mimi Wong is a writer in Brooklyn, New York, and editor in chief of The Offing. You can find her on Twitter at WhoisMims or on her website at Mimi Wong.com. Our last piece is from Madeline Corley, Managing Editor of Barron Magazine. It's a short, single-sentence poem that manages to pull so much together, from humor to anxiety, to describe one person's apprehension about a date. It's called Before Our Date, I Decide to Change My Headlights. It was published by Olney Magazine on February 23rd, 2021. Please enjoy.
3: Before our date, I decide to change my headlights. Okay, I hear you as you point out this avoidance me standing in front of my car hood baited skyward and blame me sure for choosing this second to switch the bulbs even though they've been my passengers for more than a week and cutting ties with my car's black eye didn't feel right until right now 30 minutes past when we're supposed to meet at your place where you'll roast brussels sprouts and chicken how i like it how you know my taste in wine and cheese and vegetables, and that's the issue, the knowing, your crafted observation. My friends keep calling care, but my throat started burning. The moment I pulled out my clutch, I should go. I think my lunch was sour. No, sorry, that's my heartburn. No, it's you calling, asking where I am. And I'm about to lie, say I'm tangled up at work, that I'm still figuring out which direction to turn. But instead, I answer, admit I am outside, trying to undo the dark.
0: Madeline Corley is a writer by Internal Monologue and loves her team at Barron Magazine. You can find her on Twitter at Madelinsky, on Instagram at Wrote Madeline, or on her website at wrotemadeline.com. Micro is edited and curated by Dylan Evers and produced and hosted by me, Drew Hawkins. Our theme song is by Matt Ordez. You can find all the information about this episode's editors, their publications, their featured work, and the publications where they were published in the show notes. Subscribe to the show and check out some of our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also always find our shows at micropodcast.org. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast Micro. Thanks for listening.